Moncrief on News Talk. Let's go around the world. Yep, it is time to learn of the goings on from around the world that haven't reached our front pages. And we thought this week we could just use with a bit of Daft Punk. Um, call it a day. Yes, sir. Our guide today's ever is Jonathan DeBurke Butler, and he joins us now on News Talk. Jonathan, how are you today? Finally, after five years, nearly six years doing the slot, you've given me a sting or an entry of some sort, and you've kept the best for me. I really appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I can't believe it hasn't been there all this time. I mean, it's, I as I say, Jonathan, it's made for you. <laughs> all right. You're starting us off this week with um, got an awful uh, image of these two livestock ships that have left Spain in mid-December with thousands of cattle on, on board that have been stranded ever since. Yeah, they're, they're, they're not going anywhere. As you say, they left Spain in mid-December, um, two of them, and they were bound for Libya. Uh, one of them had uh, just over 1,700 cattle on board, and the other one had 900. Um, be- but because there was a- an outbreak of what is called blue tongue uh, on board, uh, they've been trying to, uh, initially they tried to dock in their destination, obviously, in Libya, but they the Libyans were having none of it. And so after being refused in several places, they've now docked in Cyprus and Sardinia, and, and they've been there for a while. And uh, vets in the area are obviously very concerned about the animals and, you know, the state of them and, you know, even their, you know, the, the, the state of their sort of emotional state, if you want, for want of a better way of putting it and how they might be. So they're requesting access so they can get on board and have a look at some of these. Now, blue tongue is, um, is a disease that kills cattle. Uh, they can survive it as well, but uh, many, many can die and it's carried by midges, right? So it's not actually contagious, but obviously something happened on board where a load of midges was able to were, were able to act as vectors and, and bring this thing uh, into the animals. And, uh, and, and so for obvious reasons, uh, the Libyans and nobody else really want them. Now, the Spanish authorities are saying that, you know, everything was in order when they left and all the health documents and all that kind of thing were fine. And there's so many different organizations that are trying to find a solution uh, in this, which begs the question, why is there not a contingency plan in place for this kind of thing? And it appears that there isn't. Um, So at the moment, uh, they are pretty much stranded, uh, although the Spanish have apparently said that they will take the ships back. Um, Presumably, uh, all the cattle will be destroyed uh, at that point. But Mm. a, a kind of gruesome story. It is gruesome. I mean, if the Spanish are willing to take them back, you'd wonder why is there a delay with this? Is it down to simply who's yeah. going to pay for the return voyage? Well, that's that's what it is. And and I think, to be honest with you, there's a loophole in the law as well, which 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 means that when animals are on board a ship, it's actually considered resting time and not transport time, which means that basically, you know, they can only be transported for a certain amount of time, obviously. But if they're on board a ship and that ship is not moving, it's considered resting time. So the sort of implication is that they're okay, and they're clearly not okay. Um, So while all of these, you know, the wrangling of of who's responsible for what was going on, they were just presumably left there. Uh, But now it's got to the attention of the media. And uh, 
obviously people are, are, are looking to do something about it, but um, we'll, we'll, we'll have to wait and see what that solution is. Right. Strange story. It shines a it shines a light on the conditions and, and the numbers because there was a disaster, wasn't there? A ship capsized in 2019 and that was like 14,000 sheep on board. 14,000 sheep, yeah, died in that particular one. So, uh, it, yeah, something that's happened before and, and that's something that, you know, critics have pointed out, no contingency plan put in place in, you know, one of the wealthiest regions of the world, uh, you know, for animal welfare. So, um, yeah, it, it probably, hopefully this will prompt something, uh, some action uh, in the future. Okay. Um, public statues are always a thing of, of great debate. Normally mm. it's over the quality of them, um, not what they've been made from. But in Romania, oh yes. Yeah, this is a, a man by the name of uh, Ioan Bolberia, a 65-year-old artist who, it has to be said, when he unveiled his statue of the Roman Emperor Trajan, um, was the subject of much criticism and quite a bit of laughter. So the, 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 the statue itself, when it was originally unveiled, it was not particularly popular at all. Um, and uh, most people basically didn't like the portrayal of, of Trajan and, and, uh, uh, and it didn't go down well. It's, it's outside. Well, what's, the, what's the problem with it? Because it seems to have really, you know, um, rhythm of the wrong way. He, the, Trajan is in the nude, uh, which, yeah. you know, is, is fair enough, but it seems to be more the problems that he's um, he's holding a she-wolf, which is the, the symbol of uh, where, where Romania kind of came from. And that's where the issue lies, isn't it? Well, I, I think it's more to do with the fact that it just kind of looks awful, to be honest with you. The, 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 the whole premise of the statue was to um, sort of celebrate the Trajan was a Roman emperor um, in the early second century who went into Romania and basically conquered the area known as Dacia. And, and from that, the two kind of merged, the Roman Dacia merged and, and became gradually modern day Romania, right? So that's what it's supposed to celebrate, even though Trajan himself was Spanish, wasn't even Roman or Romanian, all that kind of thing. But the depiction... Okay. The depiction itself is 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 crap, <laughs> to be honest with you, right? <laughs> so it was it was. They crazy. said it was a monument to Bucharest's stray dogs. Yeah, that's what somebody said. Yeah, absolutely. And and you're not going to please everyone, obviously. You know, some people I'm sure liked it as well, but subsequently it came in for more criticism when it was actually damaged um, a number of years back. Uh, I think it was in 2017. So what's that? Four years ago. It was vandalized and part of it was broken off. And when they were repairing the statue, they noticed that it wasn't actually made of bronze, but it was instead made of brass. And this guy had charged the, you know, the city of Bucharest 3.7 million euros mm. for, the, uh, for the statue that he made. But of course, it wasn't made of the material that he said it was. And as a consequence, is nowhere near worth that amount of money even materially never mind the art artistry in it so um the police have opened uh an investigation into him and in fact that they've charged him now with fraud uh so he could be in uh, quite a bit of trouble um he hasn't made yeah. any comments himself on it uh but no. yeah he's he, that's what he's going to be charged with anyway yeah. A brass neck. Um, how he <laughs> thought he was going to get away with it is just I know, incredible, amazing, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's Amazing. staggering, really. Um, in in Nigeria, God, you have to say, school kidnappings just seem to be a recurring theme in the stories. Yeah, it is, and um, this is the latest one after one that was reported 
just two months ago, I think, involving 300 boys who were kidnapped from a school in in Muhammadu Buhari, Muhammadu Buhari's uh, the president of Nigeria, obviously, and, and it was in his home state that the last big one happened. This particular case uh, is involves 40 people or just over 40 people. Now, bandits basically went into a school in the central uh, in a central state, okay, in Nigeria. It's called Niger, not to confuse people with the country. But it happened at a government science college and they went in with guns and shot one of the students dead, unfortunately. And then they took away 42 people, right? 27 students, a couple of teachers, and then there was other relatives and and other school staff as well. At the moment, they have not been found. So they've been missing since Wednesday. Um, Nobody's 100% sure who did it. It is unlikely that, you know, the, the... Everybody sort of thinks to themselves, oh, it must be Boko Haram. But in this case, it's actually highly unlikely because it's very far away geographically from where Boko Haram usually, you know, operate. All right. Um, So it's likely that this is just a group of gangsters, bandits who are looking for money. Now, the state authorities have said that they're not going to get any money. um, And they've also said that they're hot on the tail of these bandits. Uh, so they expect to be able to free the prisoners soon. But how they know that, I, I don't really know that. Uh, so it's another indication of sort of chaos, really, that seems to have enveloped certain parts of Nigeria over the last few years. I mean, in everywhere you sort of look, uh, I don't want to be talking the country down, obviously, but everywhere you sort yeah. of look, Mohamedou Buhari seems to have an awful lot on his plate from a security point of view. And I mean, there's so much going on um, that you could nearly do, you know, a story on, on it every week. Um, it does seem that way. Well, what, for these students that they'd be released. Right. The, the normal outcome is that they are released, isn't it? It is. And the state authorities say, oh, we don't pay ransoms. But you'd have to wonder, really, wouldn't you? Okay, I certainly hope so. That forty-two people can disappear to that extent is, is yeah. phenomenal too, isn't it? Yeah. Um, the story then from South Africa of a Rwandan opposition member assassinated, possibly. Well, that's what his colleagues are saying. So this is a man by the name of Sef Bam Poriki. Uh, he was a 49 year old. Sorry, um, he was coordinator of the Rwandan National Congress. All right, in South Africa. Now. To put it into context, as you know, Paul Kagame, who's been God, president of, of Rwanda for well, 20 years, I'd say, de facto anyway, 20, 25 years, is not a fan of opposition, right, at all, whether it's inside the country or outside of the country. And uh, even though his government would deny it, uh, he has a bit of a, a thing for sending uh, people out of the country uh, to kill opposition, right? Now, this particular character, you'd say to yourself, right, he's only a coordinator in South Africa, miles away, of an opposition party that is relatively ineffective, okay? So yeah. why would you go after this guy, right? But the thing is that Mr. Bam Koriki was a part of a group of Rwandans who sued their government over the invalidation of their passports, and they did this in a court called the African Court on Human and People's Rights, which is based in Zanzibar, Okay. And the court found okay. in their favor. Highly embarrassing for Rwanda. Okay, so this is probably the motivating uh, factor in, in his assassination. That is indeed if he was assassinated. At this point, police in South Africa are treating this as a robbery, 
All right. They say that he was working um, as a delivery driver, which he was. Uh, he was delivering a bed to a man uh, and was attacked while delivering that bed. Okay. Now, the supporters of this guy say that this the the, the man who was uh, who was buying the bed had been uh, contacting the shop where he worked on a regular basis and wanted to make sure that it was Seth okay. and Boricky who turned up to deliver the bed. So that's what they're saying is it, it looks dodgy in this particular case. And, and it right. wouldn't be the first time something like this has happened to a political opponent from Rwanda. Okay. Um, in Malaysia, oh yeah, this is a kind of for, for, um, for journalism and, and the, the free press, not a great story. Yeah, it's uh, it's an ongoing problem in Malaysia and, and has been ever since they got independence, really, in 1957. It, it, funny kind of a place, and the political intrigue in the country is, is amazing, really. I mean, it's 31 million people. It's split into two regions that are 640 miles apart, right? You've got lots of different religions, lots of different ethnic groups, and it, it, it's based on a democracy that is made up of lots of different, uh, that is usually made up of coalitions involving anywhere between 10 and 15 parties, right? So the intrigue is quite extraordinary. And um, the same party ruled in Malaysia for the guts of 60 years, all right? They're the United Malays National Organization. They were kicked out back in 2018, and it seemed then that uh, freedom of expression and that kind of thing uh, was relaxed a little bit, okay, which was good for these guys who have now been uh, fined uh, the guts of $120,000 for printing reader comments on their website. So the, the, the website is, is a, it's a newspaper, effectively, called Malaysia Kinney, okay, and the editor-in-chief is a man by the name of Stephen Gann. He founded the paper back in the mid 1990s because uh, of the repression of, of, of press freedom, right? And so he's he's consistently got in trouble with the authorities because they don't like him, right? He exposes corruption and that kind of thing. So uh, the government saw these five reader comments, right? They were actually aimed at the judiciary in this case. And even though the comments were taken down when the police got in touch with the website and said, we don't like what you're saying, they were still brought to court and as I said, even though Stephen Gann himself, the editor-in-chief, hasn't been sent to prison or anything like that, the newspaper has had to pay a fine of $123,000 or the equivalent of. So, yeah, right. it's, it's a strong signal from government to people who want to speak their mind in, in that part of the world. Yeah, I have to say it's a bit of a mistake on, on Stephen Gann's part on the reader comments, isn't it? Because they're, they're, it's well known that, that they very often are things that... You don't have editor, you know, control Indeed. over. Yeah, uh, yeah. You can very easily make mistakes. Uh, this bill in uh, Tennessee sounds well very strange indeed, Jonathan. Yeah, it's it's a bill that's been introduced by two Republicans in the Tennessee General Assembly. All right, and it was a couple of days ago. I think it's about ten days at this stage. But in short, it would allow a man who gets a woman pregnant to request an injunction barring her from having an abortion, right? So if the man finds out that he's about to be a father, right, he can go yep. to a court hearing. It has to be held within 14 days of a, that petition being filed. He doesn't have to take a DNA test, right? The proof of parenthood requires that he just says, yeah, I'm the dad. And basically the court 
in this idea and in this proposed bill, and I want to emphasize proposed, the court can basically put an injunction on the woman if she suspect if they suspect that she's going to go and get an abortion. Now, this this bill might well get through the General Assembly, but it will straight away be taken to court and will be ruled unconstitutional. I would imagine. Uh, yeah, well, it's happened. Yeah, they've tried similar stuff before, and it, that oh, is what's have. happened. So, oh, God, that's what happens again. Uh, Jonathan, thank you as ever for that. You can listen back to the podcast from around the world on newstalk.com or on the Newstalk app. After the news, we'll be asking you, why do we say we're green with envy? Moncrief on Newstalk.